New Hopes, The Bullfinch Rush of 1910. By Norma King, revised by Lorraine Kelly for GoldfieldStories.com, May 2020. By 1910 most of the excitement had gone out of mining in the eastern goldfields. Many of the rich mines had petered out, while those that survived were providing work for wages men, who had practically replaced the old alluvialists and prospectors. The few men who still went out searching had found little of importance. Then the bullfinch was discovered. Charles Edwin Jones was the original prospector of this find, but a poet and medical student from South Australia named Durham Doulet, known as Dory, made the significant find. He was lured west by the rich discoveries made at Coolgardie. He managed several mines and also paid prospectors to go out searching. Many of his ventures were successful. Several were listed on the London market through his father. In 1909, while he was in Mount Magnet managing the St. George mine, he formed a partnership with Vincent Shawcross. The two men backed Charlie Jones, a mine sampler, to prospect in Yilgarn. Doulet became interested in this area five or six years prior when he was traveling in the Golden Valley. It was close to where Colrevy and Huggins pegged leases in 1887. Colrevy and Huggins claimed the government rewarded of £1,000 for discovering the first goldfield east of Perth with their partners, Greaves, Payne, and Anstey. Doulet noticed that the Golden Valley Road intersected a narrow belt of talcos and chloritic schists, which looked like a promising area to prospect. On a later search with Vere Paulette Harris and Harry Hoffman he discovered a belt of gold-bearing schists, 18 kilometers northwest of Southern Cross and extending 27 kilometers towards Golden Valley. Two of the mines that developed from the find were the Corinthian and Corinthian North. Charlie Jones's instructions were to examine the Corinthian belt and some adjacent areas. He was to receive one-eighth of anything found, with Doulet and Shawcross sharing the remainder. It was not long before he came across some prominent outcrops and quartz floaters carrying gold prospects in country thick with scrub and tea trees. Jones applied for three leases and then returned to Mount Magnet as the scanty local water supply had run out. He returned in April 1910 and began work on the leases which the owners named Bullfinch. He struck gold almost immediately and took samples that indicated values of 30 to 45 grams per ton. When the samples were assayed in Mount Magnet, they gave results of 218 grams to the ton. After receiving this news, Doulet and Shawcross visited the leases. Shawcross was not impressed with what he saw as he thought the deposits were only superficial. He sold his share to Doulet for £1,000. Shawcross was to regret this hasty action and later paid dearly to become a shareholder again. Jones sold him half of his stock, one sixteenth, for £10,000. The first shaft was sunk to 30 metres through rich or averaging 250 grams. When a crosscut was put through, it gave values of 620 grams to the ton. The ore was bagged and carted by team to Southern Cross and then railed to Kalgoorlie where it was treated by the Gold Recovery Company. The news of the rich ore at Bullfinch created a rush to the area. One man wrote in October 1910, Old mates who have drifted apart over the past 10 years are once more united at the call of the rush. One could easily imagine being back in the old times, say, at Coolgardie, with so many of the old, familiar faces present. Some of these were Steve Eastwood, Jerry McAuliffe, Tom Brimage, Warden Finnerty, Charles DeRose, Bob Hare, Charles Cutbush, Jay Fimister, and 70-year-old Patty Hannan, the discoverer of Kalgoorlie. Hannan had retired and was living with relatives in Brunswick, Victoria, when he heard of the bullfinch strike. He traveled west again and joined his old mates to prospect the district. His search was unsuccessful, so he returned to the east where he lived for the remaining 12 years of his life. The rough track between Southern Cross and Bullfinch was full of motor cars, buggies, spring carts, wagons and drays, and a considerable number of men who humped Matilda. These were the early days of the motor car, and a newspaper advertisement in a Goldfields newspaper read. Bullfinch Rush. Easy going. Lappers Duroc Motor Car. 
The best on the fields and capable of carrying four at a time or five with your best girl on your knee is open to hire at £10 a day. Apply Linton's Auction Mart, Southern Cross. The few men, including Doulet, who owned a motor car reached the scene of a reported strike before the other prospectors. Many felt they had an unfair advantage. Every bit of ground for kilometers around the bullfinch was pegged. Some amusement was created by the Honorable Tom Brimage and Captain Pettigrew who pegged out a porphyry blow, or outcrop, as a mining lease. Seventeen leases had names ending in finch. There were blue, yellow, gray, green, red, black, zebra, brick, and pale finches as well as a great finch, a jabber finch, and a napier finch. Very few of these ever produced. Many leases were speculative, and reports on the bullfinch rush often referred to the large numbers of swindlers and hangers-on who took part in it. One of these was an enterprising person who devised a novel scheme to make some easy money. Charlie Jones noticed a stranger wandering around over the rich, soft ore that had broken out on the surface of the mine after heavy rain. Jones and other onlookers were puzzled by the man's behavior as he walked about, paddling in some of the pools of water. As he did not bend down to pick up anything, they decided that he must be crazy. Jones investigated further. He discovered that the thick, auriferous mud that clung to his boots contained many grams of gold. The stranger had washed the mud off his boots into pools of water to collect after they dried out. The man was promptly ordered off the lease. The bullfinch mine was situated on a slight rise. The men built their camps and bow sheds on the slope leading up to it. The government lost no time in planning a townsite, and on November 10, 1910, at an auction held in Southern Cross, 53 blocks of land were sold for a total of £25,140. Building began soon after. At this time, the Bullfinch Mine was providing work for 50 men, with about 400 more living in the district. A sanitary system was one of the first problems the Progress Association tackled and water was another, as there was no local supply. Water was carted from Southern Cross and sold at 4 pence per 4.5 litres until June 1911, when Bullfinch was connected by pipeline with the Goldfields Water Supply Scheme. Two months earlier the government had run a railway line out from Southern Cross and started a thrice-weekly service. Doulet visited London and held a banquet where he presented each guest with a little model bullfinch made of solid gold. There was no trouble in getting investors to buy shares in the mine. During 1910, 340,854 grams were produced from 1,027 tons of ore. These values tapered off but in 1912 were still high enough to warrant the erection of a 20-head battery and other plants to treat the ore on site. In 1920 the grade of ore declined. In the second half of the year, the mine ran at a loss, and it was closed in May 1921. In 1922 the district was thrown open for wheat farming, saving Bullfinch from becoming a ghost town. Some gold mining continued in the area. After the Second World War, another mining boom occurred at Bullfinch when Western Mining took over the Copperhead leases. They set up a subsidiary company, the Great Western Consolidated, to handle its interest in the Yilgarn area. By 1950 the Copperhead Mine was employing 130 men, and the company had built for them a new town with all modern amenities. The mine became the second most significant mining venture in the state, after Big Bell. Plant and equipment cost £2 million, and the plant treated ore from the Copperhead leases, and other ore from the district. During 1952 it was handling 45,000 tons a month. Mining activity began to decline in 1960 and on May 24, 1963, the Copperhead ceased production. The residents of Bullfinch then had to find work elsewhere. The mining equipment and the buildings in the town were put up for sale. Bullfinch is no longer a mining town and a few inhabitants still live in the town site, saving it from ghost town status. It is now clinging on as a small center of one of the state's other primary industries, wheat farming. If you have enjoyed this podcast, please like and subscribe. For photos, more information and blogs, please visit goldfieldstories.com. Thank you.